and welcome back to another episode of Caught Looking, a baseball podcast hosted by myself, Max Greenfield, and my co-host, Ryan Garcia. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. A lot of interesting baseball, quite honestly. Uh, I I think, yes, the games have kind of been lopsided, but in terms of, like, storylines, I think it should make for some interesting, uh, you know, maybe future matchups. And then just, like, very stunning games, I feel like. I think there were a lot of games we were like, this is not at all how I expected this game to go. We'll obviously get more into that later. But um, yeah, no, I, I just think so far it could be better. I could, I wanted, I want a little bit more like close games, but so far I, I think it's delivered in terms of like the shock factor, or like just intrigue in general. Yeah, definitely. There's been some blowouts um, though. The, the games, the game today got a lot closer and a lot more interesting, but it didn't really feel that close, um, which we'll discuss at a later point. Um, the games could have been better in the wild card round, um, but also, in one sense, on one hand, kind of predictable for I would say one of them. Maybe you know if you you correctly called the Diamondbacks in the, the Brewer series, I did not, but those games were close at points, and then Diamondbacks kind of pulled away. But for the majority of the game, they were close, um, but. Well, we might as well go into it with Milwaukee and Arizona. You know, I talked about how I said I feel like the matchup played into Milwaukee's benefit because they were able to line up their pitching. And then immediately after I said that, within like the next 10 hours, it was announced that Brandon Woodruff would not be pitching in the series. I was like, well, that retracts everything I just said. Um, And then at that point, I was like, okay, like if I could, if if I had known that, I probably would have gone with the Diamondbacks. Um. And game one, listen, Brewers jump early. They get two runs in the bottom of the first. Um, Brandon Fat just doesn't have it, right? He, you know, he looks overwhelmed in the moment and everything. Things look like they're going the Brewers' way. And then what's kind of happened consistently this postseason, uh, Corbin Burns just lost it, just flat out lost it. Just nothing was working. And yeah, the Diamondbacks took advantage as they have done several times now this postseason. Yeah, no, I mean, the Diamondbacks have just, I mean, if you look at that series as a whole, um, the Diamondbacks looked like, it was funny because the Brandon fought, like I had talked about, oh, if anybody else starts game three, because I was assuming Gallon got game one. Um, it was like, if anybody else starts game three, this is dumb, right? And he starts game one and it's like, oh my God, they're going to start Brandon fought in game one against Corbin Burns. Surely they think this is going to go well. And not that Brandon fought outdueled the uh, the Brewers or the Corbin Burns in general, but like he kept them in the game and then they just got to Corbin Burns and it happened on a dime, right? We were actually, that was happening while we were talking to Max Goodman. By the way, you guys should check out that episode. Quick uh, promo there. Uh, but it was like instantaneous. It's like Alec, Th- uh, not Alec Thomas, excuse me, Corbin Carroll goes yard and then Cattell Marte goes yard and it goes from down 3-0 against the Corbin Car- uh, Corbin Burns who looked locked in to, oh my God, this game is tied. And the Diamondbacks just never really looked back from there. Um, I had talked about like the Brewers not yep. being able to score. Not that they didn't do enough offensively that you felt like if you had both Woodruff and Burns and they pitched to the back of their baseball cards that you should lose those games necessarily. But those are the type of situations where like, that's why I didn't feel confident picking the Brewers, right? It was just in the scenario where that they don't get the exact outcome they need from either of these two guys. Um, and in that case, Woodruff got hurt. I didn't believe in them to overcome that. 
And he didn't. Now, some great defensive work, too. There were some hard-hit balls that would have probably gone for that his Longoria, otherwise. That Longoria play was amazing. Right. and just, this is Just simply amazing. Yeah, and that type of stuff happens in a short series. So I'm not, like, sitting here and saying, wow, like, my process was so good. Max, your process was so wrong. It's just kind of like the car, the situation in which I envisioned the Brewers losing that series occurred and the things that needed to happen for the Brewers to win didn't occur. And obviously not having Woodruff – it's not like that you changed predict. changed it. It changed yeah, the series. Yeah, definitely. Um, and look, we could say, oh, well, they lost with the Corbin Burns game. Again, you know, that's on the, I feel like presuming that Corbin Burns is going to walk into a start and not pitch well is disrespectful, right? Like we could talk about the year he's had, and maybe it's not the year you expected from him, but it would be disrespectful to expect that that guy was going to show up and not pitch well. Um, and he just didn't pitch to the back of his, that's really it. I don't even think he got like destroyed. It was just not enough. It was not enough. Wasn't, for that what, wasn't what they needed. Correct. Yeah, yeah. To quote myself in a previous episode. They mirror my Tinder record. They can't score. It doesn't like it. It just doesn't happen for them. Um, but again, shout out to Dimebacks. I think they just played a really good series. I don't necessarily feel like the Brewers embarrass themselves. If you get what I'm saying, I agree. In game two, though, it, it you know we're going to get into a discussion about managing bullpen decisions in a you know in a bit. So in game two, I thought something was interesting. Freddie Peralta had gone five innings. Uh, of one run ball, but had just given up a home run uh, to Alec Thomas. And he entered the sixth inning, I think at like around 80 pitches, which for him historically was normally the time where he starts to tire. Now I know that you had used a good chunk of your bullpen in the game prior. Um, and, you know, if you could get one more out of Peralta there, like you could, but essentially they lost the game because, uh, Perdomo reaches, Corbin Carroll comes up, and for some reason, Freddie Peralta is left out there. Craig Council is a good manager. We talked about it on previous episode that Craig Council is good at his job. But he lost that game. Not pulling Freddie Peralta was in a... How do you... Like, you lose. Like, that's a situation where you need to pull your starting picture. Like, there's just... As soon as he, Perdomo reaches, you could argue you shouldn't even gone out there. Like you should have just gone to your bullpen right away. It's a two to one game. You're not scoring. You scored two runs in the first inning and then haven't scored since. Like you, I just a lack of urgency from Council and Dimebacks immediately made him pay. You know they put up a four spot in the inning. After that, I think everyone agreed the game was over. It's that concept of like, can the Brewers do enough offensively so that if they fall behind, you feel confident in them getting back in a game. And I feel like that isn't there. Um, and, and that's kind of it. Like you just don't have that soup. Like Corbin Carroll can change a series. And he did, right? Superstars, that's what they do, right? When a superstar plays well, when they show up. Series. Exactly. It changes a series. And we don't have that superstar caliber player. You're relying on hope. And, and we've talked about this at multiple times on this podcast. You cannot rely on hope and expect that every single time that goes your way. Now, you can rely on hope sometimes, and it just works out for you because that's baseball, right? And sometimes you just got to get into the dance and, and hope it goes your way. But I, it's not a sustainable way to win playoff games. And I'm not sitting here and saying it's because the Brewers are terribly ran. I don't think that's what our, either of us are arguing. Like, they're, like in terms of baseball decision-making, they're incompetent. It's more of just the limitations of an ownership group or an ownership situation where they haven't made that financial investment to take the Brewers from good 
you know, really good pitching team that lacks offense to a complete baseball team that we see, we've seen them with pitching. They pump out pitching left and right. If they made the financial investments to get the bats necessary, and we're not talking, you know, sign Corey Seager and sign Aaron Judge and sign Shohei Otani. We're talking, you know, make that Kyle Schwarber signing, let's say. I, I don't know if that's the best value per dollar you can get, but when you're a big market team, we'll, we'll talk about the Phillies soon. You know, you can kind of make those kinds of, uh, of splurges. Even signing, you know, let's say it's the biggest contract on your team is Yelich. Let's say you sign a similar contract to that in the Simeon contract. That helps you a lot, right? Like just having those players that you can rely upon in your lineup to produce and to be there every day and produce, it's important. And I think it made the difference for the Brewers in this series. And I think it has historically for them really since they started being a consistent playoff team. Yeah, I, I fully agree with everything you just said there. I mean, they just got punished because their offense wasn't good enough. It hasn't been good enough for a few years now. Like this has been kind of known about them. Um, and they've never really like taken the step to go fix it. Um, you mentioned the Phillies and we might as well get into it because there's really not much else to say here. The Diamondbacks played really well um, and the Brewers simply didn't. Um, and Craig Council made a mistake and he got punished for it. Um, so we all kind of figured the Phillies would win in two. It should be a two game sweep. It was a two game sweep. They came, they dominated, they left exactly what happened um you know the phillies i will i will say this you know when we discuss them a little bit later as well they're designed they may have some irregularities over the course of like a long season right because they do have some deficiencies that you know you you have a bullpen full of guys that throw rockets you know event you know at some points those rockets might not be strikes um and it's like that can come back to bite them at times but they are so good in posts because um they have an offense that hits an ungodly amount of home runs and their pitching is led by zach wheeler and aaron nola who are good I don't really like I, anybody who says they aren't good. I just like, what are you talking about, man? Like they're objectively good pitchers. Um, and so like to win in the postseason, right. We, we've talked about this before is like, you need a couple things. You need to have two really good starting pitchers. They do. You need to be able to hit home runs. And then you need a bullpen that has just filled with dudes that can throw rockets. And they have that. They're designed to do well in the postseason, and the Marlins are not. And they were without Sandy Alcantara, so it won't. It went about as well as you would think. Yeah, and to kind of second that point, I think one thing they really improved that people don't really talk about. And I saw this. I think it was a Mike Petrello tweet where it's like, if you look at the Phillies' defense without Kyle Schwarber, um, it's actually not bad. It's it's pretty solid. Like last year's team was legitimately terrible defensively, all around the diamond, um, and that was an issue right? This team is not that, right? Now you take Bryson Stott, who was like a questionable defensive shortstop, and you you slide him over the second, he instantly becomes one of the best. I know Turner isn't, wasn't a great defender this year, but he's not like, true talent-wise, he's been okay. He's been serviceable enough there. Um, and obviously, again, you go out, and as you mentioned, you, you hit home runs, right? Like, speaking of Bryson Stott, 
that second game was put away when he walked in there and hit one of the cooler grand slams and really one of the cooler baseball moments is if you were at that stadium, if you got to experience that firsthand, just a cool baseball moment. But again, look, I'm not going to sit here and try to, you know, convince people that home runs win games because I think everybody's aware of that at this point, right? If you're not, you're kind of not with the times. Hopefully. Um, if you yeah, follow like, my Twitter account, you definitely are. Yeah, I mean, look, you're, you are you got to be up with the times at this point. Postseason baseball rolls around. October comes around. The, the weather starts, you know, getting a little cooler. It, home runs win. You, you, you don't win games if you don't hit home runs. And Miami, a good year for them as an organization, a good year for them, you know, in terms of just getting to the postseason. But as you mentioned, the Phillies did what they were expected to do. They showed up and handled business, and that's the best way to put it. Yeah, there's really, like, everybody thought they would win. They did win. There's really not much more to say about it other than just they're a really fun team, and they played like a really fun team. And props to Miami for making it. You know, I got a lot of love for Kimang and a lot of love for, uh, you know, that that story and that team. And, you know, I, I think Skip Schumacher did an incredible job there. Um, and, you know, I hope they find some success. Uh, but they just, they had no chance. Just, just none whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on to, uh, moving on to the first American League series. Um, we both thought Texas would get steamrolled here. And instead, they steamrolled Tampa, who, just for spoilers, was my pick to win the, win the World Series. So not aging well there. Um, Jordan Montgomery absolutely shoved in game one. Seven scoreless, uh, you know, just six base runners, no walks. Uh, he was really, really dominant. And, you know, some bad defense behind Glass now, who was just okay. Um, and then in game two, they just got boat raced. Uh, I mean, they just fell apart. Zach Heflin was not great. Nathan Avaldi was very great. And yeah, I mean, listen, I didn't think that team had a lot of holes, but in two games, you can have two bad games. And that's what happened. They had two bad games. Now, I do think it brings up a larger point. And we, you know, you you definitely are taking off on this, but you need to spend. You can't you can't go out and just not spend and expect to do well in the postseason. I think we have seen that over multiple years now. Um, that you need to be able to spend these things. So personally, I, I feel as if the Rays were victims of just not spending, right? Like I, I think they had a lot of their pieces that were part of that team in the beginning that fell apart. Not really something you can predict, like, I'm not that you can't, I don't know, how do I put this? Obviously, the Rays have a represent uh, have a reputation of not keeping their, of their starters not staying healthy and their pitching getting hurt. Um, but even then, you can't really predict who it's going to be. Um, I, I think they were a really well-built team. I expected them to perform a lot better in this series. Um, I, I'm shocked they didn't, they didn't compete. Like, I, I don't think, I don't want to walk away from this sounding like, oh, this was expected. The Rays were expected to get their just boat raced in this series. I think that's unfair. I'm not shocked that they had a, an, a disappointing postseason. I kind of predicted them to by having them lose in the ALDS, especially to Baltimore, who I think on paper is a worse team than the Rays. Um, but Texas just showed up, man. Like Evan Carter had a hell of a series. Their starting pitching did a really good job. Uh, both 
uh, Montgomery and Evaldi got deep into games. You were worried about that bullpen against the Rays. You're worried about how the Rays bullpen would face against the Rangers bullpen. But again, the Rays, the Rangers, excuse me, their starters kind of eliminated that disadvantage by just going deep into games and shortening that game for the bullpen. I think that's going to be key for the Rangers winning games in the postseason. I think that the only real way they're going to compete is if their starters go deep. But again, it's the playoffs. Things happen. If a guy gets hot, if a guy's rolling, you never know. Um, I, I just, I'm kind of stunned as to how easy it was for Texas almost pitching wise, right? It just felt like the Rays weren't in it at all. It, it really just, they made, they had a really ugly game one too. It was just, just a weird game, weird, weird, weird series and a weird just way to have your series season end for the Rays. I don't think they should look at this year and say the process was wrong. I think they should just spend more, right? Like, I think that's the conclusion I have. What about you? Yeah, they need to. They need to take the next step. That's that's the problem. Is the Rays are extremely well ran, but they can't win in the postseason because they're running out there with a bottom five payroll. Um, and so, yeah, it's just it's hard to win if you don't take if you don't go for it, right? If you're if you go for it, I think we've seen in the past couple of years those teams have generally been rewarded. Last year, the Astros made some deals to sure things up at the trade deadline. They won the World Series. In 2021, the Atlanta did the same thing. We're going to throw out 2020 because that really doesn't count. Um, in 2019, Nationals made a few moves, right, that that kind of shored things up. Um, so, yeah, you have to be able to go, go for it. And unfortunately, like they just because of their ownership group, uh, they don't. Um, and that's why they aren't going to be able to take it to the next level. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Like, this is not us saying like Tampa just had no chance. Didn't it? Again, they were my pick to win the world series. I really believed that this was a good team. They just had two bad days and you know, it, Listen, that can happen. They could have spent money. That still could have happened. Like, I'm not denying that. But ultimately, I feel like if you're looking at yourself in the mirror and Tampa should, like, why are we not at the place where we want to be? It's because you don't spend. Um, props to Texas. They did spend. They did go for it. And, you know, as of this recording, they're now a win away from the LCS. So props to them. Um, in the final American League, uh, champion, you know, American League wildcard series. Uh, the Twins and the Blue Jays played the most interesting games of the wild card. I thought they were close. Um, you know, it was three to one and two to zero. Um, really, really good games. Every series was a sweep, by the way, so kind of eliminated some excitement there, but that's okay. Um, in the first game, Pablo Lopez was just okay, um, and Royce Lewis was really good, so. That made up the difference. Um, but in the second game, now a lot of a lot of hashtag discourse about this game. Um, so Sonny Gray starts for the Twins and Jose Barrios starts for Minnesota. Uh, sorry, starts for Tampa, uh, Toronto. Jesus, Toronto, Toronto, Toronto. Um, starts for Toronto. And listen, there were a couple different ways they could have gone about this game in Toronto's sense. 
if you go, it's winner take, like we have to win to stay alive kind of deal and it's all hands on deck. That's not a bad strategy, right? Like that's really not. Um, but the way they went about it was extremely odd to say the least. So if you're listening to this, you obviously know what happened. Jose Brios was at 47 pitches, walked, immediately got pulled. Not really sure why, but that seemed to be the game plan was Brios for three or four and then go to Kikuchi. Now, and you and I have said this, if the plan was Barrios to Kikuchi to try and give you length, and then you just start Chris Bassett in game four, that's not necessarily a bad plan. But why didn't you just go to a reliever in the middle of the inning to get out of it and then go to Kikuchi? Um, Kikuchi is not a reliever. He doesn't have much experience like going into the middle of an inning before. And obviously Kikuchi gave up two runs, um, only went an inning, and Toronto goes on to win the game. A lot of discourse about that, and we'll get into it in just a second. I do want to say that the thing that was actually bad from that game, from Toronto's perspective, was second and third, two out, Bobichet at the plate, and Vlad Guerrero got picked off at second base. That was worse than what Schneider did, because you actually had a chance to tie the game there, and you didn't come through because you're, you know, the guy who I think is like kind of the symbol of the things that have gone wrong for the Blue Jays uh, got picked off. So I do want to preface it by saying I think that's worse. And they scored zero runs. It's hard to really argue too much with a manager decision when you don't score. Um, but yeah, man, lots of discourse from this game. Yeah, no, I mean, just the John Siren decision, I, 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 don't really feel like the issue is saying, okay, this is our game plan. We're going to try to make this a bullpen game. We trust our bullpen. They have a really good bullpen too. It's not like they have a bad one. They have a really good pitching staff. They have some guys in there. Um, and we're going to try to piece this game together and win. Another thing is too, they held the twins to two runs. It's not like the team strategy didn't work. They held them to two runs. Like you hold right. the team to two runs. You should win that game. I, again, disagree with who they brought in. I, I, I think, you know, a question should be asked about, like, do you think about the fact that Barrios was pitching well? But l- let's say the decision was John Schneider was supposed to, like, the front office, I guess, they, they said that Ch- that was Schneider's decision, but I don't really buy that. Let's say Schneider was like, No, you know it's what? a collaborative effort. Right. Like, let's say Schneider thought to himself, you know what? Ditch this. Screw the plan. We're just, we're sticking with Barrios. And Barrios gives up a two-run home run. You're dealing until you're not like I, I feel like we're assuming that he would have gotten the next out. And I think it's a dangerous assumption to make. And then number two, they didn't score. Like I, none of this, they could have blanked the twins. They didn't score. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the big thing here. The big takeaway should be in a do or die game. The Toronto blue Jays offense failed to score. You talk about the Vlad play. That play is unacceptable. It's two outs. You're the runner on second. You're the trail runner. You're not the lead runner. You having that, you want to have a good secondary lead. I understand you want to score, but it's two outs. You're running on contact, right? You're going to be going regardless. I'm not saying straddle the bag, but no, you got to know the situation. You know what I mean? Um, And as you mentioned, he's very symbolic of what's gone on with the Blue Jays. I mean, you have that 2021 year where you're like, you know what? 
this team going forward is going to be very, very, very good. Oh, expanded playoffs, they should definitely make it. And they did. They, they played re- decently well in 2022, but Vlad wasn't necessarily Vlad. And they get bounced in the playoffs. And then this year, Vlad was, I mean, Vlad wasn't even a top 10 first baseman. At least last year, he was, you know, top 10 first baseman, that kind of guy. This year, he wasn't close to that. He was, I mean, he's two years away from free agency. Clearly, the organization isn't happy with his progression. He's taken steps backwards. He's been very, he's already like counted out the Yankees from his bidding. So you take away one of the biggest suitors on the market, kind of hurt your money there. If you're Vlad, if you're the Blue Jays, I'm not saying Vlad is like this terrible dude who doesn't care about winning. I think that's going to be a narrative that's pushed around. I'm sure it's not that bad. I'm sure he's just a young guy making some mistakes, right? Because that's usually what it is. But man, he's got to get better. They've got to get better. This doesn't even talk about like Manoa, the year he had, and like the just the off the field issues with reporting back to AAA and all that stuff. This team needs... This team needs a good, long look at itself this offseason. And they need to ask themselves, we have a lot of guys who are free agents in two years. You have a lot of guys in this rotation who are getting a little bit older. You can't keep going into every year saying, yeah, we're supposed to be the dominant team in the AL. And then getting just knocked out in the first round or not even making the playoffs. They've made the playoffs three out of four years since 2020. Swept, 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 and swept. And then the other year, they didn't make it. And they lost a pivotal game with their Cy Young winner on the mound against the Yankees, and that's how they lost it. Hey, this this can't continue for them, right? Like that, this can't be the trend. This is going to look really poorly on that front office, and it looks poorly on John Schneider too. Like I, I'm not going to sit here and completely pardon him, but it's an organizational, it's a player thing. They have to take that big, long, cold look at themselves this off season. Totally agree. They really have to to look at themselves and figure out what they what they want to do um, moving forward from here. I thought the discourse that surrounded the Schneider decision was, you know, Ken Rosenthal wrote this big, long piece about like, oh, we can't just live and die by the numbers and blah, 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 blah. Um, and all I kind of thought to myself around this discourse was, ju- was just feel. There's, you know, Eno came on our, our pod and he said, yes, there's room for feel. And so I want to talk a little bit about what is feel? What, what does feel mean? And, you know, people always say, oh, there needs to be a balance of numbers and all this other stuff. There is no balance because at the end of the day, as Jacob Rush, who I think works for Baseball Perspective said, it's all just information. And that's what feel is. Feel is realizing that the qualitative in the moment information is still extremely valuable as well as the game plan and the data that goes into every decision and goes into all of the prepping and all the game work. That's what feel is. When you have the ability to read the game and read the situation and see that Maybe I shouldn't do this, but I, I, I just, there's this feel that says I should. And I'm not saying like you should go with your gut or go with gut feelings, or you should have hope that this will work. Like, no, but you can see the game in front of you. And in the Blue Jays case, Brios was throwing way harder than he ever was. 
he was making his ball move way more than it ever was. I mean, he was, for all intents and purposes, really looked like he was the sharpest he had been ever in his career. Um, and again, as you said, a pitcher's only deal until he's not. Shout out Jeremy Siegel. We shout out Jeremy a lot on the spot. Um, and you have to take that into account when you're making your decisions. That's what feel is. Every big numbers person that I know really hated that decision because it was too early. It was a zero zero game and there was no reason to pull them. I think if they had pulled them and brought in a reliever and then gone to Kikuchi, I think people might've been able to be like, okay, the decision makes a little bit more sense, but it felt like the decision lacked feel. Now, moving into the NLDS, game one, Phillies versus Atlanta. Ranger Suarez gives up two soft ground ball hits. It's first and second, and he in the bottom of the fourth inning. What does Rob Thompson do? He pulls Ranger Suarez and goes to Jeff Hoffman. Hoffman makes it close, but he gets out of it. The blue, you know, now in the Blue Jay situation, right? Kikuchi gave up the two runs. Hoffman gets out of the situation. Phillies end up going on to blank the arguably the best offense baseball has ever seen and win three nothing by using the bullpen. Again, you could say, like, oh, he just went with data in that. And I would tell you, no, Thompson had feel. He went with a decision that he felt he could make because the Phillies bullpen is filled with dudes who throw rockets and dudes who have great stuff. And he trusted that bullpen and he could feel that getting away from Suarez again, two soft ground balls. It's not anything crazy, but with Atlanta, they're always a threat, right? And so he felt that that was the best decision to make at the time, and it worked. They won three to nothing. They're up 1 0 on the team that was the best team in baseball this year. And again, they blanked the best offense in baseball. That's still feel. He still went with a move that required knowledge of the in game situation, knowledge of his pitcher, knowledge of his bullpen and knowledge of what the data says and what the game plan is. That's still feel. That's why I really push back on this idea that, like, again, as I said, like, there needs to be a quote-unquote balance. No, because it's all just information. And if you're doing it right like Rob Thompson is, it's just more information that informs your decision that you can use feel to make the right call. And Thompson did that. Schneider didn't. That's why Schneider's at home and Thompson's up 1-0 in the NLDS right now. Yeah, and, you know, I feel like end of the day, like, I, I just think that the overall idea of, like, hey, let's pull our starter early isn't really the – it isn't a problem. I don't think it's a problem. I don't – I understand now from, like, a appeal standpoint, like, the idea of, hey, um, instead of game one of a playoff series, it's two guys duking it out and going into the seventh – it's one of those guys gets pulled in the fourth or the fifth. I, I From an aesthetic standpoint, it's not great. But I think once we let aesthetics get caught up with what we're trying to do in terms of like 
making baseball decisions, you've got a bad manager. Like the manager's like, no, I want to win a certain type of way. Usually that doesn't end well for you, right? Um, and I think Thompson, what he does really well is just he knows they're not managing. Yeah, he does a really good job of being aggressive with his bullpen decisions. Now he has a much better bullpen to work with. Not that last year's bullpen wasn't talented, but I feel like it wasn't as reliable. This year, they've got some guys. You know what I mean? Like, that's a really talented bullpen. The bullpen does a lot of things really well. They have a lot of just high octane, really good stuff, guys. Um, And, and yeah, so uh, I, I think that... Um, I think that... Uh, Overall, we're looking at a team that is very well equipped to win in the postseason. I'm not saying that the Braves are going to get their, their brakes beaten off of them. I don't think it's going to be like what's gone on with the Orioles, where the Orioles have just kind of not played competitive games. But I do think the Phillies will. I, we both predict them to Phillies to win this series. Um, but I don't think that. I just I feel like the Phillies are so well built for the playoffs. They're just they're so well built for it. You know, they've got all the guys that hit. Bryce Harper hit a home run. That's kind of like the way you expect things to go. I was shocked as to the way the Braves lost, though. The Braves losing a Spencer Strider start against the Philadelphia Phillies. You think of what happened last year, right? The, the Phillies just ambushed Strider, and they just beat the crap out of him, and they just knock him out early, and the Braves never get in the game. This was different. Strider pitched really, really well. He went seven innings, two runs. That's about as good as you can ask for from a starter to go against the Phillies, that type of lineup. Got beat by Bryce Harper. You expect Bryce Harper to beat you, but he beat you with nobody on. The, they just, the Braves never showed up offensively. They just, they got shut out for the first time at home all year, right? And the first shutout since like what, May 20-something, all right? I might be wrong on that date. But like, good Lord, right? Like, this is not the way you expected the Braves to lose a Spencer Strider start. Not at all. Yeah, I mean, if you're... You know, a baseball analyst, you you see Ranger Suarez versus Spencer Strider in Atlanta. I mean, in the odds are heavily in Atlanta's favor. Then you hear Spencer Strider go seven innings, two runs, eight strikeouts with 22 whiffs on the day. You feel even better about your odds. Just Rob Thompson and, you know, and the Phillies staff dominated from the get-go. They just took care of business. Atlanta had a couple chances, didn't come through. Highlighted by really an incredible double play on that Aussie Albies ball in, I believe, the eighth inning. Um, and, you know, just truly the dive and then the throw from Bryson Stott, I feel like is being underrated. That was a rocket. I'm saying rocket a lot, but I like, I like the phrase. Uh, missile. We'll say missile today. Um, missile from second to first. Um, a beautiful double play and it was just first of all there was a point where i think the phillies or sorry atlanta had back-to-back hitters who were in two o counts and one hit a soft ground ball to the shortstop and the other hit a, a pop-up to the second baseman and i was just like it's just that kind of day like it's just a day where you are in hitters counts and you can't come through where you hit a rocket it's right at somebody you know you can't come through with runners on. Like it just happens. It's just you don't expect to see it from again, arguably the best offense in baseball history. Um, but yeah, I, I again we've said it multiple times. The Phillies are built to do well in October, and they have a really good manager. Um, so definitely looking forward to the rest of that series to see how they do. Uh, in the other National League series, apparently we need to take the Diamondbacks extremely more seriously. Or in the more likely option, uh, 
Clayton Kershaw was tipping his pitches in the first inning because, oh man, that got ugly really fast. Yeah, good. I remember just sitting down watching that, just like, just got the brakes beaten off of him, right? Like, that's the best way to put it. You just got the brakes beaten off him. Kershaw walked in there and just the Diamondbacks just jumped him. They just ambushed him. Dodgers were out of it in the first, really. I mean, there were points in that, like, it's Merrill Kelly against the Dodgers. Not a great track record, but man, by the time when 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 Carroll hit that home run, once it was like nine nothing, dude, that game was over, right? Like the the soul was sucked out of L.A. Man, being a Dodger yeah. fan and going to that game, like it's got to be a really shitty experience. Imagine like showing up late, like oh, I'm running a little late. Let me turn on the game on the radio, and it's just like, oh, like maybe do you like reconsider? You can't even reconsider them. Like it's not like you could sell the ticket. You gotta go at that point. You're just you just gotta go. You know what I mean? Um, but good lord, just what a terrible game! Yeah, shout out, shout out, Bobby. He was there. Poor guy, dude. He he toughed that one out. Like I, I could even. I would be sick after the first inning. He was. He was so sad in the chat, <laughs> dude. I would be sick. But yeah, no, like it I, was. It just was a bad, bad game. Yeah, but like, that's listen. Give the Diamondbacks their props. They can hit. They can they can really hit. Now they got Zach Allen going in game two, I believe, uh, tomorrow night. They deserve some respect. And, you know, the Dodgers have flaws. They they have pitching problems. Listen, every Clayton Kershaw postseason discourse, is, the guy is the best pitcher of this generation, an easy Hall of Famer, probably one of the 10 best pitchers ever, you know, if you don't think so, you th- certainly think he's probably in the top 15, right? Um, he's he, guy's incredible. He's got nothing to prove. The postseason stuff is just really weird. Um, I'm not going to sit here and cite that he has a way lower FIP and a way lower Sierra and the strikeout minus walk percentage is still really good and blah, 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 and all the numbers. His postseason career is he's got some mess ups in there and some blunders, some really great games in there too. But a lot of his ERA is just the managers left him out there too long. And like he would get punished for it. Like, I think if Clayton Kershaw had his prime around now um, with today's managing, his ERA is like a run lower than what it is right now. Probably like a run and a half. I mean, it's significantly lower. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Kershaw didn't come up with it again. Like he's got some demons in the postseason, but he's still very good. Obviously, I'm not sitting here debating that. It did look like that they they somehow knew what was coming. I mean, if you were watching the hits in the first inning, some of them weren't even on bad pitches, and they were just destroying them. Um, and I know that like. He's at a tick down. He's not super healthy and everything, but his velo was up from what it had been. So I don't know. Like my guess is he was tipping in some regard because if you saw the swings off of him, it looked like they were seeing everything. So I don't know. I haven't gone back to look at the film yet, but you know, good for the Diamondbacks. Take advantage. Guys tipping, go up one, go up one Oh in the series and, they, they thoroughly dominated. I think it really put them on the like, hey, we're here. And 
we need to be respected and hopefully they can find a way to make it an interesting series and maybe we even win the series. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought he was tipping. I, I, I'm not here for, to re-engage and curb a waste of time, but Dodgers are in some trouble because they do have some pitching problems. Yeah, absolutely. They have Lance Lynn going in game two, which you're at the pitching disadvantage. Obviously, you would give the Dodgers the offensive advantage, but like, is that kind of closed up by that? I feel like it's kind of closed up a little bit by that pitching disadvantage. You're throwing a guy who... Let's let's face it, isn't very good, right? And even with the Dodgers, has not been great um, against a guy who was a couple of starts away from winning the Cy Young, right? Like that's not saying it's the biggest mismatch in the world, and we've seen mismatches result in wins for certain teams, but I just don't see it for the. I, I I'm very concerned about the Dodgers, and it's interesting. I just looked at Kershaw's stuff plus since coming back from the IL, eighty three stuff plus, ninety three location plus. Man, I. You gotta. I, do you consider hanging it up after this year? I think you kind of have to, right? I don't even want to end on that note, but dude, it's just it looks bad. It really it doesn't look good right now. It looks really bad. Uh, he's the way he's kind of spoken about it. It seems like this is it. I know that there are some who will be like, "Well, he doesn't have the longevity of Verlander or Scherzer or other generational arms." Yeah, that's true. But also, who cares? He went out there and had arguably the greatest six- or seven-year run by any starting pitcher ever. I mean, you look at his peak years, and they're incredible. I mean, up there with the likes of guys like Pedro and Randy Johnson and others. I mean, he was really, really damn good. I hope this isn't it, and I hope he's able to find a way because I I'd still thoroughly enjoy watching him pitch. Um, but... Yeah, there are a lot of bad signs. And also, like, it just seems like he's been in a lot more pain this year than previous years. I don't know. Like, there's nothing left for him to prove. I agree. Like, that he... World Series counts. He's got a ring. After that, I was kind of like, whatever you give me from here on out, I'm good with. Like, you're the best left-handed arm. I didn't really watch a ton of Randy Johnson, and when I did, it was mainly when he was bad with the Yankees. Um, so, yeah, right behind Randy Johnson as the best left-handed pitcher ever. Um, yeah, it's incredible. I hope this is not it, but if it is, then he had nothing to prove. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, um, I, I look, I, it's weird to do, like, the Clayton Kershaw appreciation bit right after – Probably one of the worst playoff starts in the last decade, not just for Kershaw, like in general, but like I probably ever. Yeah, it was not good. Don't get me wrong, especially for a game one starter. But like, look, Clayton Kershaw, as you mentioned, I, I just I don't think that should stain his legacy. He, as you mentioned, is just like I was already seeing like, oh, is is he the best pitcher of his generation? Or is it Justin Verlander? It's like, dude, it's Clayton Kershaw, like Clayton Kershaw nine. It's Clayton Kershaw 10 times out of 10. Not even close of an answer. There, that run in the 2010s was just unbelievable. It was stupid. There was an argument like Mike Trout was in his prime in that point in time, and Clayton Kershaw at least made it a conversation of like, 
is Kershaw the best player? Maybe. I mean, I would have still said Mike Trout, but you know, I take position players or pitchers usually in terms of player rankings. It's hard to rank the two together. But Kershaw was historically dominant that year where he pit that. I'm going to try to get the exact numbers here. Um, that he where he was just tossing. I mean, there were stretches where he would just go, "Yep, okay, here it is." 2014, 2013, 2013, 236 innings and a 183 ERA. I saw a tweet that said this. Will it ever be replicated? I think the answer is no. We will never see run prevention like that with the peripherals he had. 31.9% strikeout rate in 2014 is absurd. Great ground ball rate, just doesn't give up home runs. Like that type of season won't be replicated, especially with the volume. We're he's he's just historically dominant. I don't think this year should bear, you know, on his outlook on his career as a whole it's unfortunate this is probably how it's going to end but you don't really get to choose how it ends not everybody gets to go out on top you know father time remains undefeated is the phrase that i like to live by um and unfortunately it could be a true in this case in the first american league series uh one of those games is still currently playing, so we're going to get, hold off. But the other one has two games down. The Texas Rangers continue to roll. Now, game one was an immensely very, very fun game. Three to two, really close. Um, Jace Young hitting a two-run home run to give Texas essentially the lead and the win. Um, really, really good game. Well-pitched, both sides. Kind of hilarious that it came down to uh, Aroldis Chapman and <laughs> essentially trying to the to hold the game, um, which is just just so funny. Um, but you know, neither team starter really went deep. Rangers, I, I don't think you really counted on he go deep, um, and he he did a job. He kept it close. That was what he was there to do ultimately got the job done. Um, Orioles had some opportunities, didn't come through. In these two games, it's just it's just looked like the Orioles just don't have enough, right? Yeah, they look just overmatched. Look, this is another example. This is kind of like the Rays 2.0 in terms of like, the reason they're losing this, this series is because they don't have, they didn't go out and get that big time starting pitcher and from a GM's perspective, like, I know people are going to blame Michael Elias. If you're Michael, Michael Elias, you want to put in all the chips, but financially, you know that that's not, like, if you do, you will you will lose the ability to be sustainably great, um, which is an issue, right? And I know that people are going to like to hear that. I know that people are going to be upset about that. Um, but it's, you're working within the confines of your owner. You and I actually, I actually mentioned this to you uh, over the weekend where, like, usually the reason the team doesn't make that all-in move has more to do with ownership and not as much a GM. Very rarely do you meet a GM who doesn't want to seize an opportunity to win the World Series. You know what I mean? Like, that's you win a World Series as a GM, that's, all, that's what you sign up for. You know what I mean? I think this conception of, like, these guys aren't competitive and these guys don't want to be great at what they do. Who spends all of the years in school that you have to spend to, you know, and, and all the, the countless hours, the scouting, the, just the, the years of life it takes off you being away from your family. And these aren't like players that are in their 20s and 30s, you know, where it's like, all right, then when you're 40, you just retire and have a family, right? Or when you're in your mid, your late 30s, you just walk away from the game and have a family and enjoy your life. 
GMs, it's like, you want to be in the game for a long time. Brian Cashman, for example, has been in the game for an extremely long time. He has probably missed countless family events to go be, you know, doing whatever he's doing with as the general manager of the New York Yankees. I'm not saying throw a pity party for, for general managers. All I'm saying is, if you're looking and saying, wow, the Orioles should have gotten more pitching. Yeah, the Orioles owner should have said, hey, I'm willing to open up the books. Let's go get some starters. Let's get some impact guys. You can go all in because you know what? We're going to be active in free agency. If you trade a Jordan Westberg, we'll we'll go out and make the financial investment to sign like a Matt Chapman, let's say. I'm not saying Matt Chapman's a Hall of Fame type player or anything like that, but you can make those kinds of moves. You know what I mean? Um, when let's say the Dodgers traded Alex Verdugo for Mookie Betts, right? They can just be like, you know what? If anything happens, we need an extra outfielder. We'll just sign one because we're the Dodgers. Or um, when they traded for Max Scherzer, right? They traded. Um, they, they, they. I know that they had Will Smith. Um, ahead in the depth chart. Uh, over. Uh, Kiebert Ruiz and ended up that ended up turning out well. But Josiah Gray was considered like MLB ready and a good starter, or at least a good pitching prospect. They can just sign guys. That's when you have that clearance to do that kind of stuff. You can go out and make those ballsy moves. And I feel like the Orioles. The ownership group is going to have to prove to me that they're willing to make those ballsy moves for me to feel like I'm going to take them ser- not seriously as a contender because I think I can, but more of like a, the best team in the AL entering a season, if you get what I'm saying. I completely agree. I mean, the Orioles, just the message that we've been consistently pounding is that you need to go make the effort, take the next step. And that requires spending some money. And Orioles didn't do that. And they're seeing it. Other people are going to sit this and go, well, three of the four teams that got a buy are you know, kind of struggling. I'm going to be honest with you. I think that's a load of crap. Like, I understand that the week off can throw off your timing and everything like that. Totally get it. But, dude, come on. Like, just... Go out there and play better. You have more time to prep. Like you should honestly be enjoying the time off by just getting that your body in a little bit better shape. I understand like timing and everything like that, but you can just there are timing things that you can do. There are exercises you can do to stay locked in and everything like that. It's not it's not a week off thing. It's not. I'm sorry. It's just not. I know it's random and everything like that, but it, it's it's not what it is. Um, Orioles just didn't make the financial commitment to be what they need to be to take the step that they need to take. And, you know, again, that's just, that's what they're paying for right now. And like, again, Texas did like, they're literally losing to a team that did the things that they need to do. Tampa lost to a team that did the things that they need to do. Again, we talked about how like Texas kind of limped into the playoffs and they're proving that again, what you how you do at the end of the season doesn't really matter that much. You know, it's utterly random. Um, but they spent in the offseason, they spent at the deadline, they went for it, they realized, like, hey, we may never get another shot. I would be very surprised if the Orioles never made it back here. But you cannot act like you're going to be back. You need to have that urgency to go out there and make moves to build a championship contender. Tampa's owner's not with that. Baltimore's owner's not with that. Tampa got swept. Baltimore's on the verge of getting swept. It's just just the reality. Moving into the other American League series, um, 
you might be listening to this and being like, well, Houston, you know, after game one like, or during the middle of game one, it looked like their path might be coming quite clear and quite easy to go back to the World Series again. Um, and I'm going to tell you to hold on a minute there, bud. Um, so in game one, early in game one, it was a very Justin Verlander-like outing. Didn't have much working. Um, and, you know, found himself in some tight situations and found a way to get out of it. I feel like we've seen that story with Verlander a thousand times. Then the Astros end up taking like a big lead. You know, it's 5-0. Um, Verlander comes out of the game. It's 5-0 after six. And then all of a sudden, boom, three-run home run, boom, solo shot. It's 5-4. to four. This Twins team is very good and is also very good at the things that you need to be good at to be good in the postseason that we have talked about. Do they have the ability to hit home runs? Yes, they hit a lot of home runs. Do they have the ability to not give up home runs? Yes, they have the ability to not give up home runs. I know they gave up a few in game one with their you know 40 and four starter, um, but their top two guys, pretty good at avoiding it. Three, do they have two really good starters? As I just said, yes, Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray you could probably line them up with any one, two in the entire league and they'll feel pretty good about their chances. Um, and do they have a really good bullpen? Yes. They have an amazing bullpen, really, really good bullpen. And they have a manager that's unafraid to use it. Do not discredit the twins who are currently at, as a recording are winning three zero in the top of the fourth. Thanks to a Carlos Correa double and a, let me see here. I believe it was uh, Ryan Jeffers. It was, was Kyle, Kyle Farmer. Farmer. I bet. Kyle Farmer to run home. This is going to be a good series. This is going to be tight. I, I picked Houston. I still feel confident, but people were saying they were going to sweep. And I was like, hold on a second. Like th- these are going to be good, good, close games. And, do not discredit the Twins. I can see them winning this series. Like the Phillies, they are built extremely well for October. Yeah, like I said, Twins FC, baby. I will keep myself as objective and biased as I can. Um, <clears throat> but no, in all seriousness, like the Houston Nationals are a really good team. Um, Justin Verlander, he kind of did what a veteran ace does. And, you know, I can sit here and talk about, well, his XFIP and his Sierra. I'm like, yeah, you know what? He got some good breaks in the in, in the first few innings, sure. Um, but he found it, right? Like, I felt like that fourth, fifth, sixth inning Verlander looked really, really good. And it helped that overall line. He did a job. He pitched deep enough into that game. The Astros bullpen made it shaky. I think that bullpen has questions that, you know, we'll have to see if they can answer. But look, if the Twins can pull off, then we're recording this with the Twins up 3-0. But it's still very early in that game. The Houston Astros offense is very explosive. We know that, you know, that's the type of offense that has historically always done well in the playoffs. Because you know what they do? When they get a runner on, they're like, you know what? Let's hit a home run, right? Like, I I know that people historically are like, well, they put the ball in play a lot. And they do do that. Don't get me wrong. Um, But when they do in the postseason, it feels like that home run rate. It feels like their optimization of uh, getting extra bases. It's just different. You know what I mean? They're going out there and they're they're capable of finding the home run when they need it and against elite pitching. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and discredit the Astros. I don't think my pick was intended to discredit the Astros. Um, It was more so like, hey, you know, usually something funky happens in the playoffs. Unfortunately, it was 
the predict we predicted the Rays to kind of get through the Rangers were the one. I'm I'm saying unfortunately just from like the being right standpoint. I don't have a rooting interest here. Um, usually something wonky happens in the playoffs, and I'm just predicting that the Twins do something wonky, and I think they have the home run offense to do it. As you kind of hinted at in that first game, they made it interesting because of their ability to hit the home run. They have talent. We'll see how they play. Uh, if they get a if they get a win in Houston, you know they do they're doing something that nobody's really been able to do in the ALDS against the Astros since what 2015 when the Royals uh took that fourth game of that series. Um, look, if the Twins get that series tied up and sent back to Minnesota, anything's possible, and there's just something about playoff Korea, man. I, you know that you know my personal uh beef with certain unnamed people regarding Carlos Correa. Um, but we are both. I think it's it would be it would be it would be a, a dereliction of duty on my end and what we set out to do with this podcast. If I didn't sit here and be if I wasn't sitting here and being objective, there is just a different gear Correa has in the postseason. Whether it's his makeup as a person, whether it's his baseball IQ, whatever it may be. I know we're talking, I'm talking like a boomer right now. I get it. But like, you you get what I'm saying, right? I, I don't think I'm too far off here. I, I think there's just something Correa has that lets him come up in these big moments. Maybe it's something the Astros scout or are able to develop in young players because you've noticed this is a trend with a lot of guys they have where it's just almost this stoic, like they just know what to do in these situations. Um, maybe it's just rotten luck. Who knows, right? Um, but we talked about Kershaw, kind of like how he's done the opposite of that. Correa just, it doesn't matter if he has a good year, a bad year, he's hurt, he's healthy, he comes up with big plays, it's what he does, and I think that if he can continue to have a big series, I I think it can happen, I think the unbelievable can happen, and that's the Houston Astros losing in an ALDS to the Twins out of all teams. Hey man, the Twins don't have to face the Yankees, they might as well go all the way, they might as well go all the way. Um, Yeah, I, I don't discount the Twins, they're a good team, they do things well. You know, they I know that they played in a bad division and kind of like just didn't meet expectations and stuff, but they lined things up really well for the postseason. We're seeing it so far. I, you know, won two games against Toronto, not in overwhelming fashion, but in you know, did their jobs. And again, I think we're we're seeing it so far in the first two games of the series. They got some scrap to them that they got, you know, again, not to sound like a boomer as as well, but like they got some things about them that I, that I really like. Um, ultimately moving forward, I do think Houston moves on. I think Texas finishes is out from here. Boy, what a whiff from us. Um, I end up riding the ship and end up winning the series. And I think the Phillies move on past Atlanta, um, which would lead us into the LCS Phillies versus Dodgers. I don't know. I feel so hard going away from the Phillies at this point. Like they just feel like a team of destiny. They get again, not to be a boomer, but they got something about them. They're immensely fun to watch. They're playing with a ton of energy. They're doing things really well. I'm feeling good. Again, they've given up two runs in three games. I, I get that they face the Marlins, but then they face the best offense in baseball history and shut them out at home. Something that they had not, that Atlanta had not done all year. Clearly, they got something going. As I say this, they're about to lose three in a row or something, and I'll be look terrible. Um, I'm kidding. I have no idea. But I feel good about Philly. I think they can end up making the World Series. In the American League, I think I have to wait to see like what happens with Minnesota and Houston. I think if it's between Houston and Texas, I don't know. I actually kind of like feel good about Texas. Like They're kind of rolling right now. So we'll see. But um, Ryan, any thoughts on... Who's going to move forward for you? Um, Two things. Uh, Number one, 
I agree with you on the Phillies thing. I It's not that I think the Braves, again, are like, they have no shot, whatever. I'm just, they won the first game. We, we both picked them to advance. It would be weird if we're like, you know, we picked the Phillies to advance and they are 33% of the way there from advancing and I'm going to change my pick. I feel good about the Phillies right now. Good for them. I, I still, I think the Dodgers are getting sent home. I think that's the one I changed. I think the Dodge, I, I think it might be over. I, I just don't feel good about the pitching matchup. The pitching setup is... Yeah, the pitching setup is pretty bad. Yeah. I just, it's hard for me to pick against them because even when they're bad, they're so good, right? Like, even when they're bad, quote unquote, they're just so good. And they still have Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and like a really good offense. And the bullpen's solid enough. Like, I don't know. It's just picking against the Dodgers feels like a crime. So, I'm not going to do it in the NLDS, even though I just did it in the NLCS. <laughs> hey, look, I think the only prediction I'm changing... Uh, now, technically, we don't have a prediction. I didn't have a prediction on the Texas Orioles things. I didn't pick the Texas Rangers to get there. I think the Rangers are going to win the series. Um, I, I think if it's a Houston-Texas ALCS, the Houston Astros will win. I If the Astros get past my twins... Um, then they're the team of destiny because uh, the, the twins are, are the, the twins are the team of destiny. That's the way I view it. I mean, Texas has kind of like a 2022 Phillies vibe to them. I won't, I won't lie. They, they kind of have that, like just hit dongs and exactly what somebody else told me today that they yeah. have that 2022 Phillies vibe, even though the 2023 Phillies have the 2022 Phillies vibe. I feel so. like the 2023 Phillies have this just like more mature, just like they're just the analytically more sound version of their previous predecessors in terms of just pitching, right? Like they're just defensively, they're more solid. They're, they're less of like before, like I, I and you know, I gotta, I, I, I think that this is kind of like a dumb way to say it, but it's like the Phillies just kind of feel like the grown up version of their 2022 selves, you know? Like in 2022 selves, they're that first year college student. They, they, you know, they pled for a frat. They're in the frat. 2023 Phillies, they've graduated. They've moved on. They, they're, you know, they, they're having a good life. They've, you know, found a good job. You know, they're, they're just, they're there. And I feel like that's a team that can win a lot of games for a good amount of time. I, I like the ownership group, how willing they are to, to spend. They didn't feel complacent after winning uh, the pennant. They went outside Trey Turner. I think Trey Turner is going to be a pretty good player for them long-term. Bryce Harper's just got that dog in him. Uh, they've, as you mentioned, the top of the rotation, it could get shaky with Nola hitting for agency. But again, do you count them out from signing a top starter or just bringing back Nola? Not necessarily. You have to you have to keep them involved in that stuff. Um, and a lot of the buys they've made have looked solid. Like Castellanos, not so much. Schwarber aged a little bit better as the season went on. Walker was kind of like, you know, considering he was making, what, $16 million, $15 million. Can't be mad at the production he gave you. And you have a great bullpen, right? Like that's, you got the recipe for success. I think they'll, that they will be a sustainable winner for a while. But if you might, for to kind of TLDR this, uh, official predictions, I think the Twins still move on. I think the Rangers move on. I think the Phillies move on. I think the Diamondbacks move on. And the NLCS, I will pick the Phillies over the Diamondbacks. And then I'll pick the Twins over the Rangers because Twins FC, baby. Phillies Twins would be a really fun series though. Like it's two, two teams that are the, like, Phillies are like a more souped up version of the twins, but they're really similar Two really good starting pitchers, two really good bullpens, two offenses that hit a lot of home runs. So I feel like just from a like strategy viewing point, that would be a really fun series. Um, it also would be kind of funny to not see Houston in it. Uh, just something else, <laughs> please. <laughs> They've made how many straight 
LCS series, how many straight World Series, like just just give me something else. Just give me some variety. I respect what the fact that they've been able to like really kind of prolong this potential, I call it. Um, but need some variety in my life. Now I say this as a, like if the Yankees were the if the Yankees and the Astros had reversed success i would be absolutely like, yeah of course i want the Yankees to make it so like yeah i'm like i'm total homer bias but like whatever i just i just need some variety in there uh ryan thank you very much for joining me again tonight uh you know good talk about where the postseason is and where it's going and everything um if you haven't listened to the most recent episode uh our special episode with max goodman i highly recommend it um we definitely have some really fun guests planned uh we have to confirm some things and we hope to get some more special episodes out to you soon Uh, remember to rate review and subscribe to the podcast and uh, have a great rest of your week